So we did an amazing DealMaker Live event last week. We had several hundred people uh, online for three days where we packed it in. We really covered every aspect of apartment building investing from finding deals, raising capital, building your platform, expanding your business, scaling your business and operations. We've had amazing keynote speakers. We had panelists there. And man, I think we covered it. Covered amazing. We had some pretty cool technology on uh, breakout sessions and, and meetups and networking meetings we've had. We had some of the VIP we were able to hang out with some of the keynotes privately in very small groups. It was awesome. It was it was amazing to see. Sometimes uh, there's no really precedent for a con- virtual conference like that. We had a live stream expert live streaming multiple Zoom channels together. It was pretty cool. Pretty cool. It took a lot of work, a lot more work than I thought. And, you know, we're looking forward to kind of doing this again in the future. Uh, we're not sure exactly how long we have to live virtually like that. But even if we get back to live events, having a virtual component could bring the event to to more people. So we're really excited about about that. And uh, if you do want a recording of that, we actually making that available. And it's at dealmakerliveevent.com. If you want to grab the recordings of all the sessions and the VIPs already got it as part of their tickets. Uh, But if you missed it or couldn't attend or could attend only part of it, make sure you still grab the recording. Those are at dealmakerliveevent.com to grab all the recordings, all the panelists and the interviews and the speakers as well. So check that out as well. And moving on to this episode is really a focus on passive investing in syndications. We have syndication expert and author Brian Burke to help us with that because he just wrote a book on this called The Hands-Off Investor. And we want to cover the ins and outs of passive investing. And uh, even if you're a syndicator, you're going to want to pay attention because we're going to show you how to position syndications to your passive investors. All right, let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Block. So we presented the first DealMaker Award, which is this coin here for anyone who has done uh, the first deal. We had a, a few dozen uh, that received that award, really exciting. And then we also had a few what I call Financial Freedom Hall of Fame that received this larger blue coin for people that have quit their jobs in uh, with apartment buildings, because apartment buildings are the most powerful way to quit your job in a quick, in a in a most rapid and repeatable fashion. And a good number of those people were mentoring students of ours, and we had. Uh, Actually, one of our panels was all of our, our mentors. These are full-time syndicators of people who uh, have raised millions of dollars, have owned hundreds of units. Some of them have podcasts and other platforms. And we're honored that they literally mentor for us and mentor our students. So I was just really proud to see David Acosta, shout out to you, got received a First Deal Maker Award. And uh, you're a mentoring student. Kyle Mitchell quit his jobs 11 months after getting started with us, which was pretty amazing. And we interviewed both of those uh, actually on DealMaker Live as well. And I'm just really excited about this program because we have done this so for so long with so many people that we have literally figured out the blueprint of financial freedom with apartment buildings. And the mentoring really accelerates that process even further. So if you believe in mentoring, you have the ability to invest in yourself, then check out our mentoring programs at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor, and you can schedule a free strategy session to see if it's right for you. And uh, and perhaps it is, and it'll set you on your way. So check that out as well. All right, let's get into the show here with Brian Burke. Brian Burke is a super experienced guy. He's uh, he's one of my gray-haired friends, has been around for 30 years, and has done all kinds of real estate 
estate, all the way from single family house. He's bought, he's bought and sold 700 uh, houses. Uh, but his biggest investment, he's done some ground up development. His big investment is multifamily. And he's been through several market cycles. And uh, he spoke in several panels on Deal Maker Live. And I interviewed him as well. And he just has a wealth of information. He's cautious, but he gets deals done. And I always like what he has to say. He's got uh, he's got a, a larger, almost economic outlook uh, on it. So we talk about really. He just came out with a book called "A Hands Off in Investor: The An Insider's Guide to Investing in Passive Real Estate Syndications." It was uh, published through the Bigger Pockets, and we talk about that. We focus on that because he really has done a good job with this book. And we're gonna pick out some of the highlights of that. Really, what it means to invest passively in syndications, primarily how do you evaluate an opportunity? And Brian argues that it's really about the sponsor foremost. Well, what questions do you ask? What answers do you look for? And if you're active in syndicator, then pay close attention because even uh, this information is going to be super important for you to learn how to position syndications to your investors and how to respond to questions and objections that you get from your past investors. So let's get right into the interview with Brian Burke. So I'm really excited about this session because we have syndication expert Brian Burke with us, and he's going to be teaching us the ins and outs of passively investing in syndications. That's right. So you're going to learn how to evaluate sponsors, evaluate opportunities, markets, offerings, so you can pick the right investor, sponsor to invest with, and hopefully stack the odds in your favor that the investment will be profitable. Now, if you're a syndicator yourself, pay attention because uh, you should probably sit in and learn from Brian how to position syndications to your investors to raise more capital. Now, Brian is super qualified to talk about this. First of all, he wrote a book on the subject called The Hands-Off Investor, an Insider's Guide to Investing in Passive Real Estate Syndications. And so we're going to talk about that a lot. But he's been around for in real estate for 30 plus years. He's purchased over 30,000 units, multifamily, single family. He's developed land. And uh, he is more than qualified to speak on the topic of passive investing. Brian, how's it going today? Hey, it's going great, Michael. Great to be here. You know, I was looking, Brian. I I I knew I I we've known each other for a, quite a while, but I didn't know we went back all the way to 2000 early 2014 when you're on episode number five five, and so I can't believe we know each other for that long. And I'm not sure much has happened since then, right? Oh, uh, you know, not too much, really. <laughs> Just you know, buying a few hundred properties and that sort of stuff. That's about all. Yeah. So give us a little background on on yourself. You've done a, a variety of real estate related shenanigans. Just give us a little summary on some of those that you've done. Yeah. You know, I started out as a house flipper. So, uh, you know, buying single family homes, fixing them up and reselling them. That's how I cut my teeth in this business. I've done about 700 of those. We bought uh, a bunch of rental houses at the bottom of the market. Uh, I think I collected up about 120 of them in the San Francisco Bay Area at the very bottom of the market and sold them at the very top of the market about a year uh, a year to two years ago. Uh, so a lot of experience on the single family side, uh, built homes, built a self-storage facility, renovated a lakefront resort. Uh, but really what I really like to do is multifamily. And you know, after having kind of been there, done that in real estate, even uh, residential subdivisions and vacant land and, and I've just found that I really like multifamily the best, and uh, it's really the main focus of our business. I'd say that uh, on a dollar volume basis, uh, you know, probably about two thirds of our business in 30 years' time has been multifamily, and over the last, call it maybe five or six years, it's probably about 75 to 80 percent 
of our dollar volume here. All right. So you do a variety of stuff, but you're focusing on multifamily. Can you kind of share why you like multifamily the best out of a variety of things you could be doing with yourself? Yeah, well, you know, I I understand residential real estate having come from a single family background with house flipping and single family rentals and, you know, small uh, multi. So, you know, going into larger multifamily about 20 years ago uh, was a natural step for me uh, after, you know, a dozen years or so of uh, single family only investing. And, you know, when you get to understand something, uh, you get better at it. And then you discover that when you venture outside of your box, uh, you get your hand slapped. And uh, I ventured outside of my box enough times to realize that, gosh, you know, I'm actually pretty good at this uh, residential real estate thing. I better stay away from all this other crazy stuff. And, you know, there's complexities involved when you go shift asset classes. You go to office, hotels, industrial, you know, they each have their nuances. And, and I just found that it's better to be a little bit more of a specialist, even though I've done a lot of things in real estate. Uh, I've really been a specialist on the residential side. And, and I think it's just better for me and for my investors to stay there. Yeah. Speaking of investors, you finally wrote the book, uh, Brian, that you've been talking about for years and you got it out. It's called The Hands-Off Investor and Insider's Guide to Investing in Passive Real Estate Syndications. And I just, it's great that you wrote that. And it's not, you know, a 10 page read. You really spent some time on that book. And I would say it's, it's an exhaustive, I'm getting it all the way through Brian, but I'm about halfway through and it's, it's, it's very well done. I expect nothing less Brian from you, but in there you, you tell a cautionary tale early on and it's, it's a basically about someone that, that, uh, that, you know, I think it's a woman who was a grocery clerk who finally, you know, got the guts to get into real estate and essentially lost like her entire life savings. And I think you sell this cautionary tale because sometimes past investors look at all these investments in an apples to apples comparison, and they really kind of hone in on like the return, like, oh, this return is higher than that return. And what your argument is, is it's, that's not really a good way to approach it. I mean, talk really about kind of the, the dark side of passive investing. Yeah, you know, we're in the age of Amazon and stuff, right? So, you know, you 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 want to buy something, you you pull it up in the search box, you look for the lowest price and that's the one you order. The people do the same thing in investments now with crowdfunding portals. They'll go up on a crowdfunding portal, they'll they'll pull up all the different investment alternatives and they'll go, "Aha, there's the one with the highest IRR or there's the one with the highest cash on cash. That must be the best opportunity for me to invest in. I'll pick that one." And it's absolutely the wrong thing to do because there's so many things that go on behind the scenes that allow you to arrive at that projected return. And that could be all screwed up. And if it is, then the number is meaningless. A friend of mine suffered from this disease when, like you said, she was a grocery clerk. I I got my start when I was 16 years old, working in a grocery store, bagging groceries. And uh, this woman was a a check stand clerk at the store that I worked in. And she had owned a a couple fourplexes. And I thought, well, that's really cool. You know, I was wanting to kind of figure out how to, you know, get rich in real estate myself when I was young. And I thought it was, I kind of looked up to what she'd accomplished by doing that. A number of years later, she, uh, after I had gotten into real estate, she sold the, uh, the fourplexes and did a 1031 exchange and took the proceeds and invested it in a TIC syndication. And this is a, a type of syndication that allowed 1031 exchange money to be rolled in Fundamentally, it was a sound real estate investment in that it was a, a senior uh, living facility, you know, assisted living type place and everything, you know, kind of to her looked on the up and up. She made the investment and then after having made the investment was when she learned that the investment sponsor was not only a convicted felon, he was an absolute crook, stole all the money from the investments and ran off uh, and, and, you know, 
kind of case closed was uh, she lost her entire life savings. Uh, the investment sponsor's in prison. And she's now, you know, instead of having a comfortable retirement, she's now, you know, driving for a rideshare service to put food on the table. And, you know, hearing that story and, you know, kind of actually being side by side with her as this played out, I remember getting the tearful phone calls, you know, of, oh my gosh, what can I do? This is happening to me. I felt like, gosh, if there is anything I could do to prevent that experience from happening to just one person, then I'll have made a contribution to society. And that's kind of was the impetus for this book. I realized there was no complete resource out there for passive investors to learn how to invest properly in investment syndication. So I mean, make no mistake, there's tons of books out there that teach you how to invest with other people's money. But what if you're the other people? What resource teaches you how to contribute that capital to someone else's deal and not lose your shirt? You know, it it it, it happens occasionally uh, where we do talk to investors and they, you know, they're in multiple syndicators lists and they say so and so had a uh, an IRR of this and a cash on cash and yours was lower. Why is that? And when you drill down on it and you ask questions about their assumptions, either most likely they don't know, or B the assumptions are extremely aggressive. And so I can make my spreadsheet look like however I want, but really it's the assumptions behind it that make all the difference. So it can't just be return, Brian, right? You know, so when, in, when in a passive investor is evaluating multiple opportunities, what should they look at? What are the major components? Well, what you just said there, Michael, is 100% spot on. It's really the whole thesis of this book. You summed it up even better than I could in a very short, concise uh, statement there. There's three basic performance indicators that can be used to measure the performance of a real estate investment. And that's the internal rate of return, the cash on cash return, and the equity multiple. Now, each of those three performance indicators is a measurement of a series of cash flows. So you can't really manipulate the resulting number, whatever the cash flows are results in whatever the performance indicator uh, number yields, right? But you can manipulate what those forecasted cash flows will be. And so it's very easy for an investment sponsor to pull on a variety of levers, such as vacancy rate, uh, bad debt rate, concessions offered, rental rates, uh, pre and post renovation, exit cap rates and uh, loan interest rates, uh, debt, you know, the size of the debt, whether they're getting 80 or 90% LTV debt versus 60 or 70% LTV debt. All of these different things will alter the cash flows that are thrown off by the property and by ultimately by the entity. And that's going to yield different performance indicators. So you have to look at what's behind those numbers to really determine whether or not those numbers are reasonable. And, and that's really what this book is all about. It's about teaching you not only what pieces to look at, but when you look at those various pieces, what do you look for and what's, what's normal, what's reasonable and uh, you know, what's completely out of line. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, typically when, when you look at an opportunity, I mean, there's at least three main factors. There's a sponsor, there's a deal itself, the property, and then the market right? Which of those are the most important consideration? Well, to me, it's the sponsor. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, any really crappy sponsor can completely ruin uh, the best real estate investment in the best market. And I've actually seen it. 
you know, Atlanta, Georgia is a really strong market. I give an example in my book of a, of a sponsor who had collected a couple thousand units in a very short period of time, got in way over his head in a great market, and the whole thing came crashing and burning down in a ball of flames. And so to me, sponsor really is everything. You know, the uh, senior living facility that my friend invested in uh, probably was a solid investment, but the guy was a crook, so it was doomed from the start. So you're like really sorting out, it, and, and this is the tough part, is people want to be able to quantify a sponsor in some easy way, like uh, how much skin in the game do they have? Do they put money in the deal and, you know, and things like that. But what it really comes down to is it comes down to the sponsor's moral character and their track record. And those things are a little bit more challenging to quantify than something as simple as how much money are they putting in the deal. And, you know, but they're to me much, much more important. And we spend a lot of time in the book going through all those details. Well, let's, I mean, let's drill down on just a little bit. I mean, how is the average investor supposed to get at the sponsor's moral character and track record? I, uh, it was funny. One time I got a call from a guy. He said, uh, yeah, you know, hey, I saw you uh, on Bigger Pockets and this and that. And, you know, I've been watching your posts for a while and I, I wanted to, uh, you know, learn more about what you do. So I kind of told him the whole story and everything and said, so what do you do? And he says, well, I'm the money manager for, you know, one of the wealthiest families in the country and, you know, kind of told me who it was. And I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> this is the big fish. And, and he says, uh, yeah, you know, well, put me on your list. What I want to do is I want to get all your offerings and I'm going to watch you for a couple of years. Mm. And I thought, that's interesting. A couple of years. I mean, that's the part I want to emphasize. A couple of years. What he wanted to see is he wanted to see offerings that we were putting out. After we put them out, he'd want to see, you know, how did we do on those? What was the end result? You know, it's, uh, it's kind of like if you think you don't wake up in the morning and go like, I think I'm going to get married today, but I haven't met someone yet. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work like that. When you're going to get married, you you first have to meet someone and then there's a courtship and then you date for a while and maybe you live together and then you see how things work out. And investing in a passive opportunity shouldn't be much different. You want to have time to get to know the sponsor that you're working with and see how they act and ask them questions about you know, the worst investment they ever had and, and how did that play out and what did they do and, and you know, kind of look for the nuances of, you know, if they say, oh, we haven't had anything bad yet, then you know they just haven't been doing this long enough, right? They're, they're not lying. experienced enough or they're lying. Uh, you know, but if they tell you a, you know, a story about, you know, their worst experience and how they handled it, you'll learn a lot more about their character because when the chips are down, that's when the, when the character shows, right? I think it's a it's a good point. I think uh, I think a lot of past investors are really eager to get going, and maybe they're a little over eager to get going. And watching sponsors a little bit from a distance over a period of time is a great idea. And there's a variety of things that I think past investors can do. And you mentioned some of them. If the sponsor is online, like you are and I are, and some are, you learn a lot from their blog posts, their writing, and their videos, their you know facial expressions, how they do. So there's a lot of stuff you can glean or social media online. And then sometimes uh, even people who are high net worth uh, investors will invest the minimum amount and then do exactly what you described. They'll watch you and see how it goes. Yeah, they might, they can probably invest a million or more, but they're going to just give you 50,000 and see what you do with it. See how you communicate, see how you do with that money, see how, what you, what you do in that deal. And I think that's, I think that's really smart. I think, and, and also the other thing is that 
A lot of past investors don't invest with 10 different sponsors, maybe two or three. They invest over and over and over again. And so building that trust is super important, hanging out with their events, participating in the proper visits, really getting to know that sponsor a little bit more on a personal level, I think is so important, Brian, uh, versus just looking at the numbers. In your book, you talk about some of the questions to ask sponsors, and you even talk about some of the secrets that sponsors don't want to tell you. <laughs> what are some of those questions and secrets? Uh, you know, one of the one of the big secrets that sponsors uh, don't want you to know is uh, I'll, I'll give you a, a few. I mean, some of them are hiding fees, right? So they aren't forthcoming with the fees that they're going to be charging. They don't include the fees in the cash flow statements. So you know, even if they say, "Oh, we have a one percent asset management fee," well, one percent of what? Uh, because there's a lot of different one percents, and that number is wildly different. And if it's not included in the in the cash flow uh, statements, then you can't even see what it is. That's one. Another good one is uh, to look at the sponsor, the, the their treatment of bad debt. And this is a kind of an interesting one that I go into a little bit of detail in the book, where sponsors will try to hide or mask their performance by burying bad debt on the balance sheet. And in the book, I talk about a system that you can go through to look to find when sponsors are doing that. Because what they can do is they can artificially inflate the income uh, without you knowing it. And you know, I give away some secrets on how to discover uh, when that's taking place. So uh, another one is uh, how do they make their distributions? You know, we all have heard about a preferred return, right? And they say, oh, it's an 8% preferred return. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that you're going to start getting distributions of 8% day one? That may sound really attractive to you, but what might be happening is they're distributing more income than the investment is actually producing. And so, you know, you got to look for like, if they are doing that, where's that money coming from? You know, because uh, the last guy that I remember seeing on the news that was distributing more money than the uh, underlying investments were earning was named Bernie Madoff, and we all know how that ended. So, uh, you know, having an understanding of you know how they calculate their distributions, uh, and, you know, and where that those distribution dollars are coming from is really important. Yeah, that's, that is that goes to, back to the character. But uh, you're right. If you have, if you are able to read financial statements as well as the balance sheet, for example, even capital expenses could be, you know, hidden on the balance sheet and not on your P and L, making it look better as well. So some of these things to look for and to ask questions about. Sometimes though, projects, you know, they don't go as planned. And sometimes it goes that way. And sometimes they take longer to execute in your business plan. Even the best operators sometimes take longer to execute in your business plan. But what can the past investor do if they don't like how things are going uh, with a sponsor? Sadly, not a lot. And that's why, you know, making that, making the right choice ahead of time is really important. So there's some basic things that you need to do for self-defense. One is you need to diversify. And that means that you want to invest in a number of different properties, even preferably in a number of different geographical markets, even with maybe a number of different sponsors and perhaps even in a number of different asset classes. So the idea here is to eliminate or at least reduce any single point of failure. So, you know, it's a guarantee that sooner or later you're going to have one of these things that isn't going according to plan. And one of the things about investing passively in real estate syndications that's kind of on the undesirable side, this is one of the things you give up, is you give up control. You, you get a lot of benefits in the sense that 
you have an expert that's helping to source real estate, manage the real estate. Uh, you get to pool your money with other investors so you can invest in larger projects with less cash. That means you can diversify more. But the trade-off is, is that you give up control and that means that you can't just go, oh, hit the sell button, we're out. It is a little bit challenging, so you are stuck. So you know, make sure that the investment you're making, you're comfortable if you were to get stuck, that it's not gonna change your lifestyle if things aren't quite going according to plan. And, and believe me, they will. And we've had, we have deals that don't go according to plan too. The best sponsors out there will have projects that for one reason or another, you end up having to struggle with them to some degree. Now generally, you can find your way out of it after a period of time, but you know, while you're in it, it's uncomfortable for everyone. So just make sure that you spread yourself out enough where it's not too uh, painful. Yeah, control, I would say, is one one uh, disadvantage of, in, of investing in multifamily syndications. And the solution, the apparent solution, is to take the rein in your own hands and become an active investor. Would that not be a solution to that problem, Brian? Yeah, becoming an active investor is certainly the solution, but then you've lost all the benefits of what being a passive investor offers you. And, you know, one of the, the big things I always uh, like to point out to people who are in that active versus passive dilemma. They're sitting on the fence. They're not sure which side of the fence they want to fall on. Uh, you can do both. Uh, you can invest actively in your own investments and you can invest passively as well. The advantage to investing passively is you get that professional edge. If you're a casual investor who's maybe going to buy one property a year and it's halfway across the country, it's going to be very difficult for you to find the best deals, to manage it most efficiently, to get the respect of the brokers who are going to decide who's going to get awarded the property to begin with. It is really challenging, especially in the larger multifamily space. You know, so there, there's benefits and there's trade-offs on, on both sides of the fence. So it's, uh, there's really no one perfect solution. You make a great case against the casual uh, investor who buys uh, uh, you know, a, a rental house or some turnkeys or even gets into multifamily themselves. And the issue is with that is scale, right? The everybody knows the larger properties are less risky, more stable, easier to manage. And so the average casual investor won't be able to get into that. If we're going into a syndication with a large deal, they get a slice of a very nice pie, professionally managed and much more likely to make money. And that is a, a strong argument for investing passively versus versus active as well. Now, one thing that's probably on a lot of people's minds who are investing in the stock market, you know, you've been a little bit on a roller coaster ride, you know, is now a good time to invest in real estate or is it maybe just uh, wiser to maybe sit on the sidelines and see what happens? Well, I'm kind of sitting on the sidelines right now. We're, we're very much pencils up and, you know, we're looking for opportunity, but there's not a lot of opportunity out there right now. I, however, I think that's, you know, going to change. And uh, by the time everybody realizes that it's changed, it's going to be too late. So, you know, you kind of have to be in the game all the time and, you know, always be ready. And, you know, and that's why, you know, we're, we're gearing up with a new fund so that we can be ready when that next opportunity comes available because if we wait and tell, okay, everybody knows that, you know, now there's deals everywhere and, you know, the market's better, it's already old news. So uh, I, I think you have to be in the market, but you have to be very careful. There are times to not buy stuff and there's really no reason to rush into anything. You know, we're, we're under no duress to buy real estate. We can sit back and, and wait for all this to play out. But if the right opportunity presents itself, then we should be taking advantage of it. Now, why do you say that real estate is a non-correlated asset? Like, what does that mean and why would that be important to an investor? 
Well, when they say non-correlated, what it means is that, you know, if the stock market drops 30%, it doesn't mean real estate follows and also drops 30%. Now, REITs, uh, real estate investment trusts, publicly traded REITs are more, much more correlated where if the stock market drops 30%, there's a good chance that some of those REITs are going to follow in some respect. I mean, you know, maybe they're not 30, maybe it's 10 or 20, or maybe it's 50, who knows, but they'll generally move in a similar direction to the overall market. Real estate itself is far less correlated to the overall general markets. It's really more about are tenants paying their rent? Are they occupying units? Is there more demand than there is supply? Are rents increasing? Uh, is overall income going up? Those are the drivers of income real estate, both on a cash flow perspective and valuation side. And so, you know, if the stock market drops 15 or 20%, but yet people are still paying their rent, real estate might not move at all. So that's that non-correlation. And it's, uh, it's a real nice thing to have in your portfolio. So, you know, diversifying into passive investments in real estate is just that. It's diversification. It doesn't mean this is your entire investment portfolio. It means put a slice over here and put a slice over there as well. I mean, what happened over the last several months is uh, one a real risk now has been inflation. Uh, all this printing of money it worked great in 2008. It worked you know, a few months ago, and it's probably going to continue working. Uh, and the Fed is going to continue printing money. You know, what kind of concern? How real do you think uh, the concern is around inflation, and how does that affect the real estate investments? Certainly, inflation is a risk, and I'm I'm no economist that could opine on exactly what's going to happen from an inflation standpoint. I have a feeling it's probably going to be mild to moderate, if any. You know, they've had this stagflation problem overseas that's gone on for years, even in an ultra low interest rate environment. Not a lot of inflation. I mean, we've already seen energy prices decline. You know, we haven't seen uh, tremendous run-ups in in other areas, but you know, a little bit of inflation is a healthy thing. A lot of inflation, not so much. The nice thing about real estate is whether the inflation is moderate or severe, real estate can benefit because that means that generally speaking, when prices are rising, rents are rising as well alongside that. So real estate is often considered to be an inflation hedge. I don't think this is any different. People have always asked, well, if inflation starts running away, they're going to raise interest rates. That's going to increase borrowing costs. That's going to have a negative impact on uh, real estate valuation and cash flow. And while that's true to an extent, it's really not a direct decline in value. It's simply a headwind. And the, the question is, is there more thrust from the you know, supply and demand side of the market that's driving rents? to overpower the headwind or is there not? And generally speaking, there typically is, which means that even in an inflationary environment with rising interest rates, you can still see increased real estate valuations. We've certainly seen it before. And the nice thing about inflation is it makes your debt worth less, which is kind of cool since we're, we have debt on our property. So I do love that aspect of real estate. So to kind of close a little bit here, kind of what's your advice to the investor, right? I mean, there's a lot of uh, stock market investors, mutual funds, and some people watching, listening to this, getting into multifamily syndications, kind of, you know, kind of, kind of curious, like what's your advice to someone who, you know, may be interested in getting involved, but is still a little skeptical? Well, I would suggest that they look at where uh, the world's wealth has been made. And, you know, certainly there's, uh, there's a case for traditional equities and your typical retail style investments. There's a place for that in your portfolio. But modern portfolio theory has suggested that to, you know, minimize uh, risk and return 
and to uh, you know kind of flatten out the so-called you know ups and downs of the market. Balancing your portfolio with some non-correlated assets and especially real estate to an extent uh, will go a long way towards giving you a, a nice risk-adjusted portfolio. Uh, again, eliminating or reducing that single point of failure where you don't lose all your wealth from a major stock market decline, nor would you lose all your wealth from a real estate dislocation. So spread your money around. Put some in traditional retail investments, put some into real estate. Passive real estate is certainly a really good consideration. Uh, I saw a study that showed that 54% of all high net worth individuals who invest in real estate have invested passively uh, through real estate syndication. So the, uh, the ultra wealthy people already know this. Follow their lead if you want to duplicate their results. Yeah, you can learn a lot from people like that. You can also learn a lot from your from your book, uh, uh, Brian. So that book is The Hands-Off Investor and Insider's Guide to Investing in Passive Real Estate and Syndications on Amazon right now. That would also be a great step for passive investors to read that book as well as uh, active syndicators who want to get better at positioning syndications to their investors. So nice job with that, Brian. And thank you much so much for bringing it on this, uh, uh, on this interview, man. Thanks so much. You got it, man. I love doing this for you. So there you have it. A key takeaway really is that focus on the sponsor and the deal in the market second. Here's the thing, you know, bad sponsors are going to give you bad deals in bad markets. And like Brian said, they'll even run a great deal in a great market into the ground. So really focus on a good sponsor because a good sponsor will give you good deals in good markets. And even if they do make some kind of mistake with the deal, they have the track record and a fortitude in a team to basically fix it. And while not every single deal goes away as planned, good operators figure out how to make it work and they do and they will. So focus on the sponsor and that's the way to do it. And uh, we'd love to have a conversation with you if you're interested in passive investing. Our investment firm is called Nighthawk Equity. You can find out more at nighthawkequity.com. If you want to join our investor club, uh, click the join button and you'll fit out a short form and schedule a call with us and we can share with you some of our upcoming opportunities and to see if that's right for you. If you're just getting into passive of investing in real estate and you're not quite sure yet, but you certainly have invested in the stock market and you can find out more about this investment class, then go to the michaelblank.com forward slash report and download the free report there where I compare the stock market versus investing in syndications. And it might actually surprise you about the real return on the stock market, which is a lot lower than you might actually think and how relatively easy to get into multifamily syndications. We'd love to be your trusted partner in that. So check that out as well. Anyway, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I want to give a shout out to everyone who participated in DealMaker Live, uh, the speakers, the panelists, the staff, the volunteers, all the participants and uh, that were part of it. It was a really magical event yet again. And I do hope that we can do it in person next year. You guys stay safe and stay calm. Stay the course. Talk to you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles and videos go to themichaelblanc.com there you can also download the free ebook the secret to raising money to buy your first apartment building till next time